Welcome to Dinking Out Loud, where we help you to become a more effective pickleball player. You'll hear game-changing interviews with the sport's best players and coaches while getting actionable tips and strategies you can implement to rapidly improve your pickleball game. Now here's your host, Trey Sizemore. Joining us on our episode today is Derek Prince. Derek's a former table tennis, badminton, and tennis player turned pickleball player, data analyst, IPTPA certified teaching professional, USAPA certified referee, and USAPA registered pickleball referee trainer. He runs pickleball programs at two facilities in the Vero Beach, Port St. Lucie area of Florida, where he organizes clinics and coaches both beginner and intermediate players. All right, Derek, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you here. You're very welcome, Trey. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today with your background, you're, you're a player, you're also a ref, and we're going to get into some of that today and, and talk about things from your perspective as a referee and, and especially coming fresh off the uh, U.S. Open recently as well. But for those people who may not be familiar can you provide a little background about your entrance into pickleball, kind of how you were made aware and, and how you got started? Sure. Well, a little background on my sports history, if you will. Back in high school, I played table tennis and badminton and tennis. And so when I found pickleball eventually, which I get into in a second, all three of those sports are somewhat foundational to pickleball. After I left college, I didn't play much tennis and so on because it's very hard as a working individual to find people unless I joined some country club, which I wasn't prepared to do. So anyway, I spent six years in Australia. And when I came back from Australia in 2016, I was passing by this new building on the street near to my house and they were working on it. I thought, what are they building here? I was looking for a gym. And so eventually I saw a sign that says intergenerational recreation center. So I thought, wow, a rec center close by my house. This is great. I went by there when they were finished and said, hey, do you guys have a gym here? They said, yes, we do. I said, where is it? They said, over there. So I walked over to the area they showed me and expected to find racks of weights on the wall. Well, there were none. So I said, <laughs> where are the weights? I said, we don't have any weights here. I said, hmm, a rec center with no weights? I said, well... We do classes and so on here. So I thought, good, I'm a Microsoft Excel expert, so I can maybe offer classes to this, the people here. So I first started off by offering classes to the staff. And the venue manager kept telling me, hey, you should play pickleball. I said, play what? <laughs> I said, play pickleball. I said, hmm, to myself, that sounds like a silly game. I don't think I want to do that. So he kept after me for weeks and weeks. And one day he said, hey, listen, there's a free class going on on Wednesday at nine o'clock. Why don't you come to the class? So I thought to myself, okay, I'll go to this class. I tell him I tried it. It is silly. Stop bothering me. Well, I go to the class and I find out it's very much like tennis. I thought, this is easy. I can do this. And I fell in love with the game. That's is January 2017. And that's been four years and a couple of months. And here I am, a certified referee, a coach a player, I do some tournament directing, I do some referee coordination, I also write software for pickleball and all-around pickleball addict. Absolutely. And did you think going back, you know, four years ago, 2017, if someone had told you that not only would you start playing the game, but you would be as immersed in the game as you are now, you know, you, you wouldn't have believed them, I assume. Not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. 
And, and the software is something we're going to have another episode with you about. I want to get into yes. that a little bit more. You and I have had several conversations around it. It's absolutely fantastic. And we're going to talk more about that. But for our conversation today, definitely want to get back into the referee aspect. So you, you got hooked on it. You love playing. You, you Your background came very naturally to being a, a good pickleball player. Yes. At what point did you decide that, you know, now I want to referee? Well, Right here in Vero Beach at my club, Pocahontas, at Pocahontas Park, the club is called Pickleball University. They had a tournament in October 2017 called Pickle Boo, and they were recruiting to find referees for the tournament. They were going to have two sessions to teach people how to do refereeing, and I happened to be out of town for the first, so I missed the first session altogether. I came for the second session and wasn't quite sure what was going on. So I thought, hmm, well, I missed an opportunity. And then the next year, in February of 2018, they were going to have an exhibition match with Lee Waters, Anna Lee Waters, Claire Grabber, Michael Stewart, and a guy by the name of Michael Pernforce, who apparently was a very big-time tennis player. He had just At University of Georgia near me. Oh, really? So you know him? I do, I do. <laughs> Small <Yeah>. world. <laughs> so I asked the lady who was in charge of the club, I said, who's refereeing this match? She said, no one. I said, I'll do it. Now, all I had at that point in time was some knowledge of the rules. And of course, I knew how to score by then, but I had no score sheet. I had no clipboard. I had no server clip, nothing of the sort. And I figured I'll ref the match. Now, I did, in fact, find a little referee app on my phone. I thought I'd use that. So I got to the match, just the players, and everything was okay. And I started using the app. Unfortunately for me, the players changed who was going to start. And so I was there trying to scramble and put names. I thought, look, you know what? This is too much work. It's delaying the game. I'll just do it out of my head. So I stood there and I called the match. Now, there's a funny story behind all of that. One of my friends had recorded the match. And at some point after a very long rally, I had called a score like, I don't know, maybe five, two one or something then it was five two two and this long rally ensued with lots of dinking and resets and everything else and somehow i totally forgot what the score was at that point oh. and i called five two two again and claire grabber looked at me and just served the ball and no one else said anything so later i looked at the recording that my friend made and he put on he had captions there showing the score as we were going along so he had five two one and he had five two two and he put Five, two, three, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I, I thought I really should try and do this properly, learn to score properly and everything else. I did a couple of matches here in town. I went to the Colorado Open. I did a, quite a few matches. And one of the guys said, hey, you're pretty good at this. Why don't you look to become certified? I thought, hmm, that's interesting. So he told me that there's a guy by the name of Jeff Shank in the villages where I can go up, which is about two and a half hours from my house. I can go there and I can learn to referee. I did, and Jeff was very helpful in pointing out things to me. I kept reading the rule book, kept studying, did some more tournaments, and then eventually tried to go to get certified in St. George, Utah. Something people don't know, I failed my first evaluation mm. by missing an incorrect server. And that is one of the things that they automatically will disqualify you from your evaluation because it's such a critical part of the game that they don't allow you to miss those and continue. So I failed that first evaluation, 
came back somewhat dejected and upset that myself for failing that because the day before people told me, oh, you've got this. You're so good. It'd be easy tomorrow. Well, it wasn't that way. So I came back to Vero. I thought, well, I'll do this some other time. And then I thought, you know what? Just get it done sooner than later. And so I did some more studying, did a lot more refereeing of matches here in town. I decided to go to the Tommy Wong Memorial Tournament in Surprise, Arizona in January of 2018. So I was ready. I did all my tests and everything else. I was prepared. I flew out there, did my evaluation, and I passed. And I was so happy. So it's been <laughs> two years and a few months since I've been certified as a referee. And you've never missed a incorrect server again that burned in your brain. <laughs> it has. I may have missed one or two, but nothing, nothing I couldn't correct right afterwards. But no, it taught me a valuable lesson. Consult your score sheet anytime there's a question, which if I, if I had done that when the question was asked of me in the tournament, I would not have made that mistake. There you go. And yeah, and I mean, it's, it's served you well since then. And you've gone from getting certified. And then like you mentioned, you didn't pass your first one. You went back, you got certified. And now, you know, very recently here, you were roughing at the U.S. Open and in gold medal matches. I mean, what was that experience like? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I ref the gold medal match of the 2019 U.S. Open. And that was, I wouldn't say nerve wracking, but it was somewhat stressful because I didn't want to disappoint the people who selected me to do the match. And I didn't want to disappoint the fans or the players. And so I did my very best to be calm, quieten my nerves and concentrate for the hour and a half or however long the match went. And I pulled it off. So I was happy about that. This year, there was added pressure. CBS Sports Network was broadcasting live from Naples. Wow. I couldn't afford to make a mistake and... There's no chance to edit it out. So <laughs> I was on the spot for all the world to see. And I managed to pull it off again. But it's like an experience like no other. To be there on center court, to have the best players in the world going at it. It's, it's, it's very, very enthralling to watch them. The precision of the shots, the persistence, the consistency, the accuracy, just... The sheer skill of these players is, is enthralling. And like you said, I mean, it, it's really kind of an honor, too, to have that responsibility and be on the main stage like that. And all eyes are on you. And in this case, you know, live TV streaming going on. It's, it's a whole other world. High levels of pickleball and high levels of refereeing going on as well. Yeah. And I'm very grateful to Carl Lombell for selecting me to do that job. It was, it's a high honor and a privilege, and I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. Absolutely. Now, is that something that, for example, like with the U.S. Open and, and refing some of these gold medal matches, is that something that's determined very early on? Or is it deeper into the tournament where they go, hey, Derek, you're going to be refing, you know, the, the match on, on this day, you're going to be doing the gold medal match. Is that something you know at the beginning or later on as the games go on? The first time, I don't know what the inner workings of the process were, but I was told that I'm being considered, that's 2019, I'm being considered for the gold medal match on Saturday. So I said, okay, mm. fine. And as the week progressed, I think the organizers, the referee coordinators, and those in charge of that process narrowed their choice down to whoever they decided was the best person to represent the referees at that time. Something similar happened this year. I was informed that 
I may be required or asked to do the gold medal match on Saturday night. And then as the week progressed, it was confirmed. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. And, and this was kind of unique, too, in that, you know, as the pandemic's been going on this past year and, and we've slowly gotten back into bringing tournaments back and having people go there and in attendance. I mean, this was a really big major match that was, you know, arguably you know, one of the bigger ones since everything came back. So I, I imagine that experience there as well was kind of surreal compared to what's been going on the last many, many months. Yes. We've had a few smaller tournaments around. I've done quite a few tournaments since the latter part of last year, I did Delray, I did Tampa, I did a couple of at Pickleplex, I did Bainbridge Cup. So I've had a good opportunity to get back into refereeing, which we had kind of stopped doing as of March of last year. Mm-hmm. So the more we study, the more practice we get on the court, because as you well know, Trey, it's never the same. It could be the same players, but situations always arise that challenge you to have to, in a sense, scour your brain for the applicable rule and apply it right there on the spot. There's no second chance. There's no confirming with someone else. You've got to have the rules at your fingertips and make the right call and be prepared to defend it, if you will, if the players question you. Absolutely. And that's a lot of pressure. And, you know, it's a lot of things to have to remember. And the more you do it, I imagine, you know, it, it becomes a little bit easier, but then you have to deal with rule changes oftentimes yes. each year that you take into account that are new. And yeah, it definitely makes that much harder. So I have tremendous respect for all the referees because it's not an easy job. No, it's not. And I also have a lot of respect and admiration for those who have been involved in the rule change process because that can't be easy either. There's so many suggestions and so many people wanting certain things done and they've got to sift through all that and come up with the ones that are most impactful that will benefit the players first and foremost benefit the players reduce friction between the officials and the players and in a sense be for the betterment of the sport absolutely and and that's a good segue into the next one you know everybody's talking about the rule changes and there were several that uh, went into effect, some of them provisional rules for 2021. And you have firsthand view of all this as a referee and new things you had to, you know, be knowledgeable about. It, it seems that for the players, something that's getting talked about quite a bit has been the, the drop serve as a provisional rule. So just to yes. be clear, drop serve was something that has been permitted in the past, but, you know, it was for people aimed at people primarily with disabilities or handicaps that prevented them from doing a, a traditional serve. But now everyone has that as an option and it being a provisional rule, meaning they may go back and look at this later on. And it's, it's not necessarily going to be a permanent addition here. Is that correct? That is correct, Trey. And there are pros and cons to the drop serve. As in everything else in life, it can probably be abused, but we have some guidelines that will allow us to know and to call out illegal drop serves. And for those who may have not tried it, it's worth a try. Being a coach also, I sometimes have clients who are incapable for some reason, and primarily because they have not had a lot of exposure to racket sports all their lives. They cannot figure out how to drop this little plastic ball and at the same time swing this paddle and make a connection 
at a certain point below their waist and have that ball travel over the net and land on a certain part of the court. All of those things trying to coordinate, it is very, very difficult for them. And so the drop surf has been a salvation for some of those people. They're able a little better to drop this ball and time the bounce and hit the ball over the net like they couldn't do prior to the drop surf being in the, in being allowed in the sport. So that's been a good thing. The other thing is that we have as referees to sometimes make a decision very, very quickly. Is this person going to drop the ball or are they going to hit the ball out of the air? As you well know, Trey, they're not allowed to propel the ball downward with any force, nor are they allowed to toss the ball up in the air as you would do in tennis. So we've got to watch that serve motion and very quickly decide if that person is going to hit that ball out to the air in the traditional serve or they're going to let it bounce and then drive it. So it makes life interesting for us. We've got to be on our toes watching every <laughs> single serve because you never know what may come out of the person's hand. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but uh, you don't know. And so you've got to, it's different mechanics, different motions that are going on. And so knowing that if you knew ahead of time, it would help you better prepare and what to watch for. But as it's unfolding, it makes it that much more difficult. Yes. I've had the experience of calling illegal serves on some people who made a motion with their hand as they dropped the ball. Now, they were sometimes completely unaware that they were doing that until I pointed it out to them. And then you would see them simply hold the ball in their fingers with their palm downwards, knuckles up, release the ball from their fingers and let the ball drop and then serve. So they learned along the way. Absolutely. Is that the biggest, as a referee, is that the biggest issue you see or biggest, you know, cause of faults in your mind, or is it something else? I don't think that's the biggest problem there. Footfalls on the kitchen line still continue to be the single biggest problem in rec play and in some tournament play. When there's no referee, it is very difficult for the opponent to see that. And even if they saw it and called it out, all the other person has to say, nope, I was in the kitchen and it's an automatic replay. So when there's a referee, his primary responsibility besides calling the score and making sure that the right serve and receiver are hitting and returning the ball is to watch the kitchen line for footfall violations. And again, that takes concentration because you've got to make sure, that, of course, the ball bounces. And there are people whose shoes have a bit of a, an upward turn of the toes. And that makes life interesting for us as well because if the front of the shoe simply hangs over the line, it's not a fault. If the bottom of the shoe touches the line, then that becomes a fault. And so we've got to be vigilant and watch very carefully that the shoe does not touch the line when they're volleying the ball out of the air. Interesting. And, and going back to the drop serve, the biggest issue people are having, because this is new for a lot of people and they're trying to go out there and executed on the court, uh, some of the biggest issues you see as a referee with them executing the drop serves? I haven't seen too many problems with that. What I did see sometimes in some rec play is that people try too hard to impart spin in the ball. Mm. So they drop the ball and then they try to come up with this huge slicing motion and then the ball goes out to the court or goes into the net. I haven't seen too many pros use a drop serve. And in fact, in some tournaments, the pros and senior pros are not allowed to use a drop serve. Hmm. Now, why is that? 
Well, because it's a provisional rule, the tournament organizers don't think that we should be, quote-unquote, experimenting with something like that at the pro and senior pro level. So they prohibit the pros from using that serve. All right. So if you're going and watching some tournaments and you're not seeing it, there's one of your reasons right there. Yeah, I didn't realize that. The amateurs can, in fact, use it, but many of them have chosen not to. I did see a few people use it during the tournament here at the U.S. Open, but not too many. Yeah, when it was first announced, I know a lot of people were asking, you know, questions around, okay, well, how do we do it? How do we best defend against it? I mean, it was almost like perceived as this, you know, seismic shift in what was going to happen in the game. So it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting to watch that unfold. Yeah, but it turned out that it's not making a huge impact on the sport. So their fears were somewhat unfounded. Yeah, absolutely. But I think sometimes it's like, you know, something new. It's like, oh my gosh, what's going to Yes. So in, in addition to that, there were other things that, that came out as rule changes in, in 2021. And, and some of these are more for tournaments, you know, specific type things where they'll come into play, like, you know, the coaching being permitted when you're switching ends and, yes. you know, others that, that apply at the rec level too, you know, like, you know, getting rid of, of service lets and stuff. Has there been any that have been interesting from your perspective that, that you're seeing or have changed what you're doing as a ref or anything that's been more problematic? I mean, what's kind of been the biggest impact you see to the 2021 rule changes? One of them is a throwback in a sense from around 2018, where the players are allowed to ask the referee, am I in the correct position? Mm-hmm. Now, prior to January 25th, they were only allowed to ask the score and am I the correct server? And now we've gone back to them being able to ask us, am I in the correct position? That has gotten mixed reactions from some of the referees and some of the players in that some of us felt, listen, you're a pickleball player. You have a band in the tournament. You ought to have known the rules. You're brought up learning how to play the sport. You should know based on the score and on the fact that you have a band or don't have a server band where you should be standing. And some of us feel that for them to be able to ask that question as well as I'm at the correct server is somewhat spoon feeding them and takes responsibility of them knowing the sport and knowing the rules away from them. Well, so be it, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was interesting. And, And are you seeing people, at least in tournaments, you know, availing themselves of that a lot? Are they asking and getting, you know, spoon fed as far as are they, uh, not only just the score and, and the correct server, but the correct position. Yes, I don't see it a lot, but I do see people making sure that they're in the right position. Because, of mm-hmm. course, as you know, if they serve from the wrong position, that is a fault and that will cost them. So they are availing themselves of the opportunity to ask the referee, am I in the right position? And the answer, we have to say, yes, you're in the right position. Do you kind of groan a little bit every time you answer? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, internally and quietly, yes. <laughs> but the thing that's interesting is that even though that is available to them, I've had the experience twice in the last two tournaments where, and I really inside cried when I had to say, oh. I said, for example, point and the serve person serving. And then I said, well, after saying the score, the service served, the receiver was in the wrong position, but never asked me. And I had the unfortunate experience of having to say, fault, incorrect position, point, 
game match. Wow. And the last time I closed my eyes because I couldn't bear to look at that person and say that because <laughs> it's such a heart-rending utterance. I mean, oh my goodness, it's tough. Wow. But the rules are the rules. I have to enforce them and do my job. Absolutely. But like you said, yeah, it probably breaks your heart a little bit. It's like, wow, you know, you have all these opportunities and yes. especially on something so critical as that, yes. yeah, that point in the game. Wow. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Now, something else that was new is if the wrong score is called, right? Now, the players have really until the third shot to stop play. Does that come up very often? Is that making any difference this year? No, it's not. And the reason is partly because if you're not sure, then you're better off playing the rally to completion and at the end of the rally, correcting the score. Because if the server serves and you, the receiver, think to yourself, hmm, that's the wrong score, and you question your partner while hitting the return of serve, before the serving team hits the third shot, you've got to indicate that you do not agree with the score. If that opportunity passes you and they hit the third shot, you're not allowed to stop the rally and mm. query the score. So if you miss that opportunity, you're better off playing the rally to completion and then querying the score and getting a correction if, in fact, the score was called incorrectly. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, some of these you think would have some immediate impact to the game or things are going on over the years that would cause these changes to to happen, you know, whether there's always a reason behind it. So you wonder yes. when something like that's introduced, okay, well, what's been going on? Like, is this going to allow for something that previously, you know, people weren't catching it that quickly or something? That's right. interesting to see that, yeah, maybe it's, you know, this particular one, maybe it's not being utilized that much. Yeah, but the one that is a little more interesting or a little more impactful is the fact that a player must see a space between the line and the ball before they can call the ball out. Otherwise, the ball is construed to be in. Mm. That one is a little bit more problematic because the person standing, for example, if I'm standing behind the baseline returning a serve or returning a deep drive, and I think the ball is out, I cannot see a space between the ball and the line. So my partner who is hopefully looking at that ball and he can see or she can see the space between the ball and the line. So many times you've got players trying to call the ball out and they are not in a position where they can do it according to the rules. And it's very hard for us as referees to rule on that sometimes because we are in a place where we can't see, especially if the ball is right close on the sideline where we are standing. We're behind the ball in that instance and we cannot see a space between the ball and the line. So many times you simply have to say, I didn't see it clearly. The call on the court stands. Hmm. And that does that happen fairly often? Yes. In terms of when there's a question, that does happen fairly often. And sometimes yeah. the players get upset that, well, what are you doing there? You're supposed to be watching. And we simply don't respond or we say, I didn't see the ball clearly, point or side out or whatever. We, we don't engage in verbal confrontation with players. It's not in our code of conduct. It's not in the ethics of the sport. We simply do our job. We're not partial. We are impartial and we try to enforce the rules equitably on both sides. 
And, and a lot of the rules are, are not major, but a bit, but a lot of the changes and rules, to your point, that came out in 2021 seem to be around taking out some of that conflict between players and referees, right? You yes. mentioned, you know, one such, but yeah, there are several revisions, I guess, that came up that were, that was the point of them. Yes. And for example, one that is interesting is the whole notion of the serve motion. When does the serve motion begin? Is it beginning by me bouncing the ball or me popping the ball on my paddle or me moving my arm back? When When is precisely the time that one can say the serve motion has begun? So the rules committee has done a wonderful job in saying you're only going to count the contact of the ball with the paddle as being the moment when the serve is initiated, not the moving of your arm back or forward. And so if we call the score and prior to finishing that last number, we hear the pop of the ball hitting the paddle, we know that they have started this, the serve before we finish and that's a fault. Mm. They can move their arm prior to, they can wind up, they can do whatever they want. They can try to time my cadence to where exactly as I finish the last syllable of the last number, the next half a second later, they hit the ball. That is perfectly legal. But if they're just a here quicker and I hear the pop before my last syllable is sounded, that's a fault. Interesting. And similarly with things like when refs can issue technical warnings and technical fouls, I think some additional clarity around some of those types of things as well, you know, as far as penalties and when they should be imposed, those types of things. Yes. What we're trying to do is make sure that the games are quote unquote clean. Mm -hmm. We're not allowing any kind of profanity on the courts. And if there's a mild expletive uttered by any player, the referee has the authority to call all the players to the net and say, ladies and gentlemen, or gentlemen or ladies, there will be no profanity on this court. It's called a verbal warning. It's issued to all players simultaneously. There's no record of it going against a particular team, but all players have been given this warning. Only one verbal warning is given per game or per match for that matter. If after that, any player utters something that is deemed to be profane, a technical warning can be given immediately. Or if it's bad enough and loud enough to where we think it is offensive to the people who are around, the spectators, we can give a technical foul. Now, the verbal warning is not required. We don't have to give the warning because if we hear an outburst that is profane, we can immediately issue a technical warning or technical foul without giving the warning ahead of time. Oh. So I was going to say the way you were describing it earlier, it was almost like uh, sometimes you'll see watching the Olympics or track events where there's a false start. One person does it, but now anybody that does it after yes. that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That is correct. Interesting. And one other thing going back to the serve, I had experience where quite a few players where sometimes while I'm doing my paperwork, let's say at a change of sides or the serve going to the other side, a side out, a player may serve the ball and the opponent wants me to call a fault. Well, it's not a fault because that ball is dead until I begin to call the score. So players out there, listen carefully. If you serve the ball prior to me calling the score, 
It is not a fault. The ball is dead and it's simply a reserve. And I will tell the server, please don't begin serving until I call the score completely. That's something I've had many players question me about during the tournament. Hmm. Good to know. Hopefully people are paying attention to that. Go back and listen to that again. <laughs> yes. Take it to heart. Yes. The other thing we're trying to curb is any kind of abusive behavior. For example, a player is upset because he lost a point and throws his pile against the net or he strikes the ball with vengeance and into the net or he hits the ball over to the other side without regard for the safety of the other player. We are now allowed to call faults for unsportsmanlike conduct. And throwing the paddle is a big one that will earn you a technical foul immediately, which is a point deduction from your score. That can take place between games. It can take place during a game. So there's no time during the conduct of the match prior to the match ending that you are, in a sense, immune from receiving a technical fault for abusive behavior of any sort. There are also two other more serious penalties, if you will. There's a venue expulsion. There's a tournament ejection. There are all kinds of things where if you exhibit behavior that is considered so egregious that it endangers the health and safety and well-being of another player or a spectator or damages equipment or infrastructure, that you can be removed from the venue as a final penalty. Hopefully you've not had to uh, issue any of those yet. No, not yet. I did have to issue a technical warning because one player hit the ball into the net with perceived vengeance, malice, whatever we call it. It didn't hit anybody, but it was something that I had to address right there and then. Yeah, for the well-being, yeah. I mean, somebody could get hurt, another player, or, you know, somebody watching the match. It's yes. uh, yeah, something you got to cram down on for sure. Yes. Interesting. So as, as a referee, you know, you, and as a coach and as a player, you know, you, you see tons and tons of matches and, and maybe specifically as a referee and then all you know about the game and refereeing the matches themselves, is there something or some things that you wish more players knew or, you know, you're talking to a lot of players now. So is there something you'd like to impart to them based on your observations? One of them is the whole notion of when you ask a question of the referee, what happens? So let's say you're the server and you're not quite sure if you're the correct server. So I call the score, let's say 541, and I begin the 10 second count within which you're supposed to get the serve on to the other side. If you consult your partner while the 10 second clock is running and your partner says, hey, are you sure you're the right server? He can ask me the question, ref, am I the right server? Am I the correct server? I have got to stop my 10-second count. I've got to raise my hand, indicating that play has been interrupted. I have to respond to his question or her question. And then I have to say these words, I will recall the score. In which case, I recall the score and I begin my 10-second count again. That happens if the receiver asks me a question or the server, or the server's partner, or the receiver's partner asks me a question. I have to stop my 10-second count, hold up my hand, interrupt play, and respond to the question, and continue. Now, one thing that people sometimes do is say, wait, wait, wait. That does not stop my 10-second count. (laughs) 
Okay. Unless it's a valid hinder, for example, a ball rolling on the court or a person coming onto the court or something that's legally a hinder, saying, wait, 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 is not sufficient for me to stop my 10 second count. You have to ask me a valid question such as your position, whether or not you're the correct server or receiver, or what is the score? So that comes up quite a bit then where people are not aware of that. And yes. Yeah. Think that something else is going to pause that countdown. Right. Interesting. Okay. And anything else that comes to mind that you see, you know, players, maybe they're doing often or not enough, or they should know, or you, you think they know, but maybe they don't, that would be good to impart to them. I've not had too many instances of them not doing the right thing. The one pet peeve I have, if you will, is this. During the briefing, we tell the players, you have three minutes left of your warm-up, and we tell them, or we don't tell them anymore explicitly, but it's in the pre-match briefing that's sent out to the players by the tournament director or the referee coordinator. When the referee says 15 seconds, it is not the time for you to finish up your serves because in 15 seconds, when he says time in, it's not the time for you to now go to the fence and towel off and check your paddle and get a drink of water and confer at your point as to who's going to do what. That's not the time because I am authorized as a referee when I say 15 seconds to allow you 15 seconds to do all of that to get on the correct side of the court and be ready to serve and or receive when I say time in. So when I say game one, time in 002, you should be in position. And I am authorized, I'm responsible for doing exactly that. Say game one, time in 002, whether or not anyone is on the court. And if 10 seconds later, the server hasn't served, I will say fault, side out. So many players don't quite understand that. And I wish they would because I would hate to... I hate doing that, but it's what I have to do as a referee. I have no choice. Part of the rules. Yeah, absolutely. It's the rule. Yeah. I, I have many more questions I want to ask you, but for the sake of time here, I want to ask one more, and then we're going to have another session, hopefully later, if you're so kind as to come back. Uh, there's more areas I want to get into. Certainly. Um, but for those players who are rec players and they've never played in a tournament before and they're considering or maybe have already committed to going and playing in their first tournament. It's different things that they often do in the rec side and maybe get away with or don't have to be <laughs> cognizant of it. It's a different world now that you're in a tournament yes. and there's a referee. Like, are there some pointers or things that you would pass along to those individuals that they should probably take into account or some best practices or something because it is so different? Yeah, little things like, first of all, you don't call the score as a player. That's the responsibility of the referee. And you find some of them almost echoing you or saying it prior to your saying the score. We say, uh, excuse me, I'm calling the score. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, it's, that's a minor thing, but it does happen. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the little things. Things like a timeout is available to you. In rec play, we simply play until we're done and we're tired or whatever. In tournament play, if you see the opponent racking up a couple of points and getting on a, a run, having some momentum going for them, you ought to call a timeout. Mm -hmm. 
The timeout is going to do two things for you. Allow you to reassess with your partner what has gone wrong or what's going right if you're the serving team and you want to take a break to make sure that you're on 10, 9, and you want to make sure that you serve the ball into the center of the court so that you can win the next point and win the game. Or you're down 2-7, you were at 2-4, and now suddenly it's 2-7, and you really want to reassess what's going on. Call a timeout. Break the momentum of the opponent so that they've got to stop. Maybe they get a little cold, maybe whatever. But at least you have a chance to call a call a pause and, like they say in football, ice the kicker. So that's something that's available to you. There is no refund on unused timeouts. I'll say it that way. So you may as well <laughs> use them both and take your full minute. As referees, we'll give you a 15-second warning. So take your full minute. Don't be in a hurry to get back on court. Take your time. Make the other player, in a sense, wait until the time is fully expired before you get back on court. And then hopefully you've been able to readjust and are now able to continue and hopefully stop the run and go on to maybe even win the game. That's a great tip. And, and you see that happen quite often where the momentum of a game can shift like that. And often it's time, like you said, you're, they get cold, they're on a streak. You're able to go back and recollect yourself, you and your partner, and the game can really turn around at that point. You probably witnessed that a lot as a referee too. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Another thing is if you're not familiar with stacking and switching, please don't do it in a tournament because there's no forgiveness as such. You're the wrong server, wrong receiver. It is a fault. The same thing happens in rec play. However, in rec play, many of us say, oh, no, 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 you're not the right server. Or you're not the right receiver. And we tell our friends or club member, fellow club members, they're not the right receiver or server. But in a tournament, there's no forgiveness in that regard. So, so if you're going to stack and switch, please learn how that's done. I'd even suggest as a practice run, when you're doing rec play, procure server bands, maybe even just a regular sweat band and have the both teams wear them so that you get accustomed to this whole idea of, am I the correct server? Am I in the right position? And so on and so forth. Because we give you those bands in the tournament and that's what we key off of as referees. We don't really care. And that's not saying it nicely, but it doesn't matter your name. All we look at is who has got the server band and what's the score so we can figure out who should be standing where when the score has a certain number. Yeah, that's a great tip. I like that. You know, get get used to it, practice it, you know, get in the field because you are making that fairly substantial transition to the way things are done. Like you mentioned with calling scores and what you can do, taking timeouts, being in the right position, you know, not the time to experiment, as you said, you better have it down cold or, you know, be comfortable with it before you start trying it in the tournament play. Yes. Another small but important rule change is this. Let's say we're playing a game, a rec game, and I forget or I didn't call the score. My partner can call the score for me and I can call the score the rest of the time. In a tournament, if I begin calling the score or I'm the server and I call the score, and then for some reason later on, I get hoarse or something happened to my voice and my partner calls a score for me one time from that point on for the rest of that game, he or she must continue calling the score when it's our turn to serve. We can't go back and forth. So that's something that players don't know or many players aren't aware of, but that's something that's in the rule book as well. 
Interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a good one to know as well. So yeah, a lot of rule changes, a lot of change, uh, some of them subtle, some of them, you know, meant to promote more fair play and reduce some of the friction between players and referees, you know, others procedurally with how we play and what's allowed and some of those. So it is interesting and, and it definitely everyone should avail themselves with whether you're rec playing or, or definitely if you're going to be playing in tournaments, get familiar with those. Yes. Another comment I'll make, and I made this yesterday at a clinic we had in town. Pickleball is played by rules. There's one rule book that governs rec play and tournament play. And many times you hear the comment, oh, it's just rec play. Well, that's not right. The rules are the rules are the rules, and they apply in rec play and in tournament play. In some matches, there's no referee, simply because they made the tournament format an MMP, Metal Matches Plus, and there's no referee for under the for less than 4-0 skill level. So the players are responsible for adhering to the rules. And one of the ones that are sometimes in question has to do with footfalls on the kitchen line. If you observe your opponent stepping into the kitchen on a volley, you are allowed to call a footfall on that person. However, that person can say, no, I wasn't in the kitchen. And rather than you two of you go back and forth, yes, you were, no, I wasn't, yes, you were, no, I wasn't. The rules allow for that to be an instant and immediate replay. There's no argument back and forth. If he says, I wasn't, you simply say, okay, we'll replay the point. In a discussion, no long protracted, drawn out conversations. That is correct. And the other point for those new to tournaments, if you observe your opponent consistently breaking a rule, for example, you hit the ball close to the line and you and your partner see the ball was clearly in, but the opponent calls the ball out. You're not allowed to question your opponent's call by the rules. You simply have to accept any calls that they make on their side of the net. However, if it happens more than once, you as a player are authorized to ask for a referee for the end of that match. So basically, I'm saying don't allow anyone to consistently break any of the rules of the sport and sit by idly and take it. You have recourse. You send a court, you send a court monitor to get a referee who will come to your court, who will listen to what's going on and take the match from that point on, get the score information, get the timeout situation, who's the bandit server, who is serving, how many timeouts have been taken so far, and that referee will, from that point on, referee and officiate that match. And many times you find that the match goes without a hitch from that point on. There are no more bad calls because someone is policing that. Yeah, I was going to say, surprisingly, how well the smoothly the matches go after that. <laughs> yes. Does that happen fairly often or...? It happens sometimes. And what I've also seen is that <laughs> sometimes someone will say, ref, could you have someone come ref this match? Those guys are notorious for making bad calls. And so ahead of time, they would ask the referee, the head referee or referee coordinator to send the referee out to their match simply because they expect there to be trouble. I even had an experience here over the last week where there was a ladies doubles match and they asked for a referee, not because they expected to have any problems, but they were friends and didn't want to be perceived to making a bad call against their friends. So they wanted someone impartial to be there and make calls to them. And the match went smoothly and they parted as friends. 
I was going to say they wanted to remain friends. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very wise decision on my that part, was. on their part, I dare say. Before anything happens, let's go ahead yes. and get somebody here. Let's I like preempt that. this. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Derek, this has been super informative. Lots of great things you passed along. It's always interesting talking to you, and it's great for the listeners to be able to hear from your perspective, again, being so unique as a player, as a coach, as a referee, you know, your vast experience refereeing at the highest levels as well. So thanks for taking the time with us today to do this. And as I mentioned before, so many other areas I want to get into with you and definitely would love to have a follow-up conversation with you if you're up for it. So again, thank you so much. I enjoyed that, Trey. Thanks for the opportunity. And you players out there, read the rule book. Learn it. Know it. No, yeah, it can be costing you points as well by not knowing it. So. Definitely. It's to your advantage to know the rules and play by the rules. There you go. That's a good thing to, uh, to end with right there. Thanks again, Derek. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Trey. You're very welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening to Dinking Out Loud with Trey Sizemore. Please visit us at pickleballhut.com for more great resources.